Well, good evening, church. Welcome to our Sunday night teaching time. We're continuing our series with the parables. And last Sunday night, we started with the parable of the talents. And I said I wanted to finish up, especially the last half of that parable. So that's what we're picking up tonight. Get a Bible, Matthew chapter 25. I'll read the whole parable, verses 14 through 30. I entitled this, How to Make Each Day Spiritually Productive. And we're continuing from last Sunday night. So Matthew 25, 14. For it, that is the kingdom, will be like a man going on a journey, who calls his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability, and then he went away. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them and made five talents more. So also he who had the two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Notice it's his master's money. It wasn't his money. 19. Now, after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here I have made five talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little, and I will set you over much. Enter into the joy, notice the emphasis on joy here, the joy of your master. 22. And he also, who had the two talents, came forward saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here I have made two talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. 24. He also who had received the one talent came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid. And I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here, you have what is yours. But his master said to him, You wicked and slothful servant. You knew that I reap where I have not sowed and gathered where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers. And at my coming, I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has the ten talents. And then these words, for to everyone who has will more be given and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. What a story. Let's pick up. I have three or four thoughts that I want to work through here with you tonight. One. What is the master looking for in a good and faithful servant? I mean, those are the, those are the adjectives that this, that this master describes to the five and the two talent. He says they were good and they were faithful. So what's he looking for? What made them good and faithful? 
I mean, there are, of course, obvious traits of character that the master is looking for in these servants. He calls them together. He entrusts them with his goods, the goods of the estate. And as he leaves, as he leaves, he's counting on two principles, I think. Two principles being strongly rooted in good and faithful servants. So, A, he wants those servants to understand that the wealth they are investing is not their own. Even the one talent person, it said he went and hid his master's money in the ground. So the wealth they've been given wasn't their wealth. They weren't owners. They were stewards. And that's why he's placing such trust in these servants. He has something at stake. If they take the money and go to Hawaii then they're crooks, they're not stewards, they're not faithful, and they aren't good. So everything in my Christian life hinges on this important understanding being sort of ingrained in my heart, and my my perspective, I think, frequently needs realigning on this issue. I'm thinking about 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20, Paul writes the the church at Corinth, or or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? And then he says, you are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. So so Paul addresses these Christians, and, and he isn't sure that they know this truth as well as they need to know it. That's why he starts off saying, do do you not know? Or or, are you forgetting this? Is this something that's, that's slipping from your awareness? Do you not know? So, so whenever I stand at the communion table in church, I'm to remind myself that this is what I'm declaring. I mean, do do I just see myself as forgiven or do I see myself as purchased? There's all the difference in the world between those two things. I mean, that's what the word redeemed means. Redeemed, how I love to proclaim it. We used to sing hymns like that. I have a song I love to sing since I've been redeemed. So redeemed means bought. That's what redeemed means. It doesn't just mean saved. It means owned. You're not your own, Paul says. So there's one of the concepts that the master wants these servants to have as he leaves. I said there were two concepts. Here's the second one. So B, the master wants them to work as hard with his wealth while he's away as they would if he was physically present with them. So, so, so he wants these servants to be as loyal to him when they couldn't see him as when they could. Of course, that's where that third servant with the one talent, that's where he failed. The master wasn't there watching him. And so he wasn't faithful. Point number two. The faithful servants eliminated the temptation to misuse or waste their master's goods by setting to work with them immediately. 
I want you to notice it. It's in verses 16 and 17 of Matthew 25. He who had received the five talents went at once. Those are the important words. He went at once and traded with them and made five talents more. So also. In other words, the two-talent person did it in the same way. The words aren't there, but it, but it means he did it like the five-talent person did. The two-talent person also went at once, went immediately. So servant number one went to work at once with his master's goods. So also, Jesus said, servant number two set out without any hesitation. Immediately, some translations will say. The word, the word is euthos. And, and it has its roots in the word for um, straight or direct. We still say the shortest distance between two points is a straight line. So, so Jesus means those two faithful servants, they took no detours on their way to investing their master's money. They, they went about their assignments quickly, undistracted. Unlike many of us, they, they didn't feel there was anything else they had to do first before they got to the business of looking after the interest of their master. They weren't waiting for retirement. They weren't assuming others could do a better job than they. There was just this anxiousness, this excitement, this sense of anticipation. They went at once and got busy with their master's wealth. I think the psalmist caught the idea a long time ago when he wrote about serving the Lord with gladness. Not just worship the Lord with gladness, we get that, but serving the Lord with gladness. I guess the lesson here is nothing opens the door for failure in the Christian life like like putting off, not denying, just postponing what you know you should be doing immediately for the Lord. So, So that one talent servant, he didn't fail because... He had less to work with. That's not the teaching of the parable. He failed because before he did anything else, he dug a hole in the ground. There goes my water. He dug a hole in the ground. He made time for his wickedness. It's what you do right away. It's what you do first that matters most. Point number three. Notice, servants are rewarded on the basis of faithfulness, not giftedness. I get that in 19 to 23. Now, after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here I have made five talents more. We know by now the words, 21, his master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy, underscore joy, of your master. He also who had the two talents came forward saying, master, you delivered to me two talents and here I've made two talents more. And his master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. Now stop. I just want to compare the two faithful servants for a minute. We'll get to the other one talent 
uh, disobedient servant later. But I stop there just to compare the five-talent servant and the two-talent servant. And the more you think about it, the more you realize how cleverly crafted this parable is. For example, consider the reason, consider the reason why Jesus included three servants. I mean, if all Jesus wanted to do was compare a faithful servant with an unfaithful servant, he only needed two characters in the parable. I mean, he could have left out the two-talent servant in the middle and just compared the five-talent servant who was faithful and the one-talent servant who was judged for being unfaithful. That would have told the whole story. It would have made the point that we must invest and not hide our master's goods in the ground. But that's not the only point Jesus is trying to make in this parable. And that's why there are three characters instead of just the two. He included three servants because he didn't just want to compare faithfulness with unfaithfulness, but he wanted to compare two faithful servants and their rewards when the master came back. He specifically compared two faithful servants to show something, and here's what it shows. Their reward was the same even though they were not equally gifted. Their reward was the same, even though one was working with bigger numbers than the other. Five increase compared with two. They received the same reward because they were equally faithful in their assigned task. They both put their master first with what they were given, They both set out to work immediately when the master left. They put the master's concerns above their own concerns. They both worked as faithfully when the master was away as when the master was present. And because of all that, they received the same reward. Well done, good and faithful servant. So so behold God's method for putting reward within everyone's reach. That's the point of the three characters in this parable. That's why at times, the first will be last, the last will be first. I can still remember a long time ago, growing up, churches used to sing, little is much when God is in it, labor not for wealth or fame. There's a crown and you can win it if you'll go in Jesus' name. That's a very precious truth. You you don't need the largest number of talents. You don't need the biggest stage. You simply need the most faithful heart with what God has given you. Mind you, the opposite edge of that truth is equally sharp. The greatest gifts and the highest profile count for nothing if pride or arrogance or self-will, if that keeps a simple faithfulness to Jesus from motivating all you do. Okay, four. Lessons from a wasted life. Look at 24 to 30. I want to read these one more time. He also, who had received the one talent, came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So so I was afraid. And I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here, you have what is yours. And he just returns it to him. I wonder if he was expecting this, 26. 
But the master answered him, you wicked and slothful servant. You knew that I reap where I have not sowed and gather where I scattered no seed. Then, then you ought to have invested my money. It was the master's money. You ought to have invested my money with the bankers. And at my coming, I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him. Give it to the one who has ten talents. For to everyone who has, more will be given. And he will have an abundance. From the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. I wonder if we thought it would end like this. I wonder if we thought that the people who were working so hard to serve, working so hard for the master, they enter into joy. You'd think they'd just be tired, but that's not the way it works. As they're serving the master, they find the joy. Here's a person not serving the master, cast into utter darkness. It's, it's that flipped ending that we find so striking. Now, this is obviously the part of the story Jesus, Jesus put the story together. This is what he wanted to emphasize. There are, there are more verses giving to the unfaithful servant than to the two faithful servants combined. So this is where Jesus lands. A for A. By his own admission, fear kept this servant from doing his job for the master. 25. So I was afraid. I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours. So in a way, what the servant's doing is he's blaming his failure on the master. He says he knew the master was demanding, had high expectations, demanded productivity. And so because of that, he was afraid. That's why he buried the talent in the ground. But the master won't let that excuse stand. After all, if the servant feared the master so much, he would have done at least taken the money to the bank and gotten some interest. No, the explanation lies elsewhere. B. The master describes the servant as two things, wicked and lazy. It's in 26. His master answered him, you wicked and slothful servant. You knew that I reap where I have not sowed and gathered where I scattered no seed. So, so the creator who knows exactly what's in our hearts, he gives a more accurate diagnosis to the servant's real problem. It's quite different from what the servant said his problem was. I guess every once in a while, every pastor hears, I hear stuff like this. Pastor Don, thanks for asking me to do such and such, but I really feel there are other people out there who are better qualified for that job than I am. I'm sure that sentence gets voiced in hundreds of churches across Canada every week. People speak it, usually think they're being humble and godly. But, but, but I think the master would say, well, yes, you're right. There are five and ten talent people all over the place, but that's not the issue. The issue is, I want you to be faithful with your one talent. So don't just say there are other people who are more qualified. Those other people may not be as faithful. Never forget, you're as much a servant of the master as anyone else. 
I mean, surely that's the point of Jesus' story. That's why, in his telling, he has, he has the one talent person hide his master's talent in the ground. It's a very clever story. Jesus is trying to show that, that one talent people are just as liable to be judged for failure as ten talent people. One talent people have to be faithful with one talent. So, so, so here's the bottom line. The final servant puts his own security above his master's instructions. And for that, he's pretty severely judged if the words mean anything at all. He lived like it was up to him whether or not he was going to be serving the master. I mean, after all, he could always say there were other people who were more gifted. Other people have more talents, so it's up to him to say yes or no. That's what he thought. C. We're almost done. Uselessness appears to be as damaging and damning as wickedness. I get that in 28 to 30. So take the talent from him and give it to the one who has ten talents. For to everyone who has, more will be given. He will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Doesn't end the way we like. I mean, how seriously does the master take this issue of faithfulness and fruitfulness in the lives of his stewards? That's, that's what these verses deal with. And Jesus is teaching that we're easily, we can vastly underestimate the importance of faithful service. We can, we can just say, well, I'm forgiven. Praise God. And that's good. But the parable seems to stress this coming time of reckoning that, that, that seems to have surprising elements to it. You, you, don't, you don't have to lose what you've been given. That's the point. The one-talent servant didn't lose a nickel of his master's money. He simply didn't multiply it. He didn't use it. He didn't serve. There were chances to put his time and energy into his master's work, and he just didn't bother. How much does that matter? Apparently quite a bit. The master called these stewards together initially to do his work while he was away. Then the master wanted them to care about his work as much as he cared about it while he was present. So, so we learn this very important truth. We learn that the Christian life For all of the precious talk, and it is absolutely true about receiving Jesus, come into my heart, asking Jesus into your life, making your decision to accept Jesus. I get it. Those are all, they're fine terms. But we learn from this parable that the Christian life was never meant to be understood exclusively as a new life received. We learn that the Christian life was meant to be a new life of service. It's salt put into meat to season it. It's light put high on a hill to enlighten. 
It's disciples sent into the world to reclaim it. Talents mean mission. So, so it's not enough. Remember the wise and foolish bridesmaids. It's not enough to have your lamp lit at one time. Because without maintaining and replenishing oil for the future, so receiving gifts from a gracious master is not an end in itself. The master comes back and wants to see fruit. So church, fear uselessness like you feel pornography or the occult. Jesus never once warned about overstressing ourselves with his kingdom. Not once. What he warned about was a kind of laziness that would preserve selfish security and lack fruitfulness in the kingdom. So remember, the one who tells this parable, Jesus, he's also the creator of heaven and earth. He he made us from the ground up. And he knows best how to preserve and fulfill our lives. He wants us entering in. He's not just out to make us hard workers. He wants us entering into the joy of our Lord. Jesus knows there are only two choices that destroy our lives. There are two choices that destroy our lives. Either we can serve the wrong master, and Jesus warned about that, or, and this might be far more common, We can try to serve two masters. Either way, those are paths to weariness, frustration, spiritual harm. But you can never lose putting God's kingdom first and seeking it with all your might. Jesus said so. So for us, everybody has received something. There weren't any stewards in Jesus' story that received nothing. Everyone has been given something in terms of our time, in terms of our wealth, in terms of our abilities. The important thing is to remember you're not an owner. You're a steward. And you enter into the joy of the Lord through faithfulness in using what's been given to you for the master's kingdom. Let's pray. We're so grateful that we have these lessons from heaven for life on earth. Thank you for the way these parables make vivid truths that can easily cool in our hearts and lose their grip on our minds. We look forward to seeing you again face to face. And we want to be able to lay at your feet the service with the gifts you've given to us. Help us to live each day wisely, waiting, ready for our master like the five wise and five foolish bridesmaids and serving like the five and two talent servants so we can enter into the joy of our Lord. Both now and eternally. So Holy Spirit, plant these truths in our minds so they don't just slip away when the screen goes dark. Make us good and faithful servants, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.